Every now and then, I meet someone who's changing the world for the better by their sheer will alone. Whether they're authors, activists, or adventurous, these people are blazing a path with their deep enthusiasm and allowing the world to follow. Their passion is strong, and my passion is to tell their stories. I am Brian Platt, and this is Passion Project. Hey, welcome. So in this episode of the podcast, I speak with Louise DeWall of Bloodlines. Bloodlines is a documentary that came out a couple years ago that talks about what's called caged hunting. And so it's a practice in South Africa that where people, a lot of times Americans, will go and shoot, I can't even say hunt, but will shoot lions, big cats, you know, any kind of exotic animals. They'll pay tons of money and go and shoot them as they are penned up in cages. So in this instance, these lions are have been habituated to humans. So since the point that they were three days old, lions are taken from their mothers and their pet. They're habituated to humans. They're, they're, they get familiar with people. They're fed by us. So they almost trust us. I will almost go so far as to say they're, they're about as close to tame as you can get with a wild animal. I know that's that's kind of weird to think about, but like they're familiar with humans. They trust humans for food. And then they receive the ultimate betrayal when they're shot uh, by people who aren't even hunters. There's so much to this documentary and to this conversation that Luis and I had, um, and even just kind of trying to synthesize it in this intro is very difficult to do. But essentially, like what makes this such a there's so many things that make it such a horrific practice but one of the most intense scenes of the movie is probably in the first 10 minutes where you can see that these people who come to kill these lions don't even have to be a good shot so one of the first scenes is when someone is trying to shoot a lion and they say trying because it takes them six shots to shoot a large lion particularly distressing especially because the lion has been baited the lion is standing there and it takes this person six shots to knock it down to, to kill it i don't even think it's dead at the end so it's a particularly gruesome scene but it's a particularly gruesome practice um when we were talking louise said sinister and i couldn't agree more um it's you know people will come they, they they call themselves hunters they sometimes they say it's even for conservation efforts where there's been absolutely no um basis of that but people will come and look at these lions on a menu and say oh well i want one with a darker mane and a larger one they're bred with certain characteristics in mind the ones with the darker larger manes cost more money to kill so it's up to sixty thousand dollars people pay to hunt and kill a particular lion. And guess what? They have a almost 100% chance of killing that exact lion, and they can do it in an afternoon. Whereas the documentary talks about how there are other, you know, there are people who go and hunt wildlife in Africa and, and elsewhere, but in Africa, um, and they call it fair chase, whatever. These are these are hunters. Uh, you can have your own opinions about that. I, I do. Uh, but the fact is the people who go and kill these canned hunt or these canned animals are not hunters. It, they can do it in 
three hours, whereas hunters or people who go there and do the fair chase can take up to 14 days. There's no guarantee that they're going to get exactly what they're looking for. Um, and it's just not as creepy. It's when you watch this documentary or just even know a little bit about this practice, it's pretty carnal. Like these people drive up to the lines, drive up to the kill. It's been baited. They shoot it. They kill it. They pose in front of it when they take a fucking picture. <laughs> they pose giving thumbs up or riding it. They claim that they're conservationists and environmentalists. They claim that some of this money goes to conservation and environmental efforts. No evidence of that at all. In fact, probably what actually happens is these canned hunting practices feed into poaching, feed into more of this these terrible practices that really are detriment to um, African conservation and conservation elsewhere. So in the documentary, they talk about how, you know, and, and Luis and I talk about this in the conversation about how the lions from birth to bones are exploited. So three days after they're born, they're taken away from their mothers as cubs. And that's because they can be easily habituated early on, but also so the mother can give birth to more cubs because she wants to continue her species. So she wants to give birth and rear these cubs, but they're taken away. So she goes and, and, and gets pregnant again and wants to try again, which is incredibly heartbreaking in and of itself. But then they're habituated. People, volunteers will often come under the impression that they can help, um, that these cubs have been orphaned somehow by their parents. So a lot of times these hunting compounds, again, quotations, but these compounds will solicit people, oftentimes young volunteers to come and lay with the lions and, and cuddle the lions and take care of the baby lions, the cubs, um, under the, the impression that they've been abandoned by their mothers. Which Luis was like, that never happens. Mother cubs or mother lions are incredibly good mothers. Uh, they don't just abandon their, their cubs. Um, and when they're killed in the wild, that responsibility of taking care of those cubs uh, goes to the pride. So there's very, very infrequently orphan cubs that need to be taken care of by humans. But there are these volunteer uh, programs out there where you know, it's these lions, these feeder lions that will eventually become these canned lions. Uh, and people will go thinking that they've been abandoned and needing to handle them and take care of them. And there's no way that they can be put back into the wild. So birth, then obviously when they get old enough, they're hunted. That's $60,000 up to right there. Then their bones are used for what's called tiger bone wine, which is a we couldn't even really get into it into this documentary. It's it's such a deep and complex and nuanced subject in and of itself. But demand for that is fed by a lot of times fed by this cage lion hunt. So if it wasn't bad enough, if the practice wasn't messed up enough, uh, you have that it, it really is feeding this thirst and this demand for these um, for these practices that are diminishing our, our already um, finite and decreasing species. So 
on that note, like lions in South Africa, there's more born in captivity than there are in the wild. Again, a particularly distressing point, um, especially even knowing that lions in South Africa are stable. They're doing well. They're not declining. But the demand for people to go and shoot these things in the face, pretty much, shoot lions and shoot wildlife, super uh, close ranges, is growing. And it's just a, it's just a really... Um, creepy sadistic practice um (laughs) it's a bit of a soapbox but i mean you got to watch the documentary you got to listen to this conversation because if you're not passionate about this or at least you don't have a stance on it um then that's surprising to me it's such a intense subject but yeah uh so a couple things that i do want to mention um i was talking about touched upon this earlier But Luis mentioned a lot of times that sanctuaries, quote unquote, will have volunteers come and pet these lions and and really get familiar with them. Um, So I wanted to plug a website because my wife and I almost got caught in one of those. We read about it a little bit and were intrigued when we were trying to plan our honeymoon. Instead, we wound up seeing the mountain girls of Uganda, which was incredible. And I'm glad we made that choice. We got a funny feeling about this. Um, But essentially, if you are looking to volunteer in Africa look at the website volunteers in Africa beware so that's a website that will show you what programs are above board and what programs are feeder programs for these cage lion hunts because if you you know and Luis makes this point and it's a strong one if you are involved with petting lions and with handling lions you are not even indirectly you're directly you're directly supporting the um, cage hunt practice and it's not something that we should be ashamed of if you've done it. I've pet lions in the past. I've pet cubs. But it's just what do you do with that knowledge moving forward? She keeps stressing. Um, and I agree. So if you do wind up you know, thinking about going volunteering, make sure to check out that website, Volunteers in Africa Beware. And it's not, uh, you know, if you're just going to hang stateside and keep listening to podcasts, I appreciate it. As always, if you like, rate, review, subscribe, all that stuff means so much. uh, And it helps an incredible amount. So please do it. And yeah, enjoy. I know you will. Uh, It's a really great podcast and um, a really great episode. And, um, you know, something that needs to be addressed for sure. So thank you very much. And yeah, we'll see you next time. Well, thanks so much for joining me, Louise. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. So I saw Blood Lions and I was absolutely blown away. Um, there's a lot to get into. Can you explain briefly, well, or actually, you know, take as much time as you need because it's such an expansive topic. Can you explain a little bit about what lion farming is and how the different components work together and mm. how, you know, uh, how expansive it can be sure yeah it it is quite a complex um, situation so in south africa we are 
farming, basically, lions and quite a lot of other big cats as well uh, for commercial purposes. So basically, if I can take the lions as the sort of the example animal, but um, I would like to say it's it's not just lions that we're farming. Um, there's also a lot of breeding and keeping of cheetahs, of caracals, leopards, servals and exotics like tigers, um, uh, jaguars, pumas. Um, so yeah, the the breeding, the predator breeding industry is is pretty huge and wide ranging. But the biggest section of that industry are lions. Um, and basically, what happens is that um, the mothers. Um, the, they accelerate the breeding cycle by actually taking cups away within days of birth. So mother gets pregnant, she gives birth, and the cubs are taken away within days of birth. That means that the mother can go back into the next breeding cycle much quicker than she would do if she would um, have the cubs wean it. And in the wilds, the they may only have one uh, litter every couple of years. Mm. Um, in captivity, that way, they can actually push that to four to five litters um, instead of one. So it's significantly increasing that breeding cycle. So they can generate a lot more cubs from one mother. And in the wild, how long are the cubs generally with the mothers? Up to about two years, okay. they be obviously become more and more independent. Mm -hmm. um, but um, up to two years, the males generally stay with the pride and therefore be part of that social structure. The males then very often leave the pride um, to form a coalition or and when they're a little bit older, they um, obviously will sort of fight for their own pride. Um, whereas in captivity, these animals don't live in that social structure either. That is part of a welfare issue, if you like. Um, so yeah, it starts off with this whole breeding cycle where cubs are actually ripped away from the mothers and that uh, accelerates the breeding cycle but it also generates a very interesting um, economic uh, opportunity where you can bring in paying international volunteers that will hand rear these orphaned or abandoned as very often they're called cubs um, for conservation purposes, and often these cups are also used in petting facilities for tourists um, to pay and play. Um, and so when you say conservation sort of, services, it's not truly conservation. It's it's what people think. no yeah these. It's it's all very fraudulent messaging to mm -hmm. to be totally honest. Because first of all, these volunteers are very often told that the the cubs are orphaned or abandoned by their mother, whereas they're actually being literally ripped away from their mothers. Yeah. Um, and secondly, um, they're told that these animals are going to be re um, and they're not because they they then become part of this whole economic value chain within the line. It starts off with the cubs, the, the, the paying volunteers, the 
uh, tourists that come to pet, pet and play with these little cubs, then they become a little bit too old and boisterous and dangerous for petting. Then often they are used for walking um, activities with paying tourists. Um, that involves quite a cruel training program. And basically they're trained like circus animals. Um, and the animals that don't go that route then go back to breeder um, into holding pens until they're old enough to enter the captive or cant hunting industry. And some of those will then also enter um, after two or so years, um, the, the, the lion bone industry. So South Africa is also killing a lot of lions for their bones for the traditional medicine uh, Southeast Asia, sorry. Um, mm -hmm. So those bones are being legally exported from South Africa to Southeast Asia to enter the traditional medicine markets and supplement the tiger bone um, industry as well. So yeah, it's um, it's it's a whole commercial value chain, um, and they they've taken every opportunity at every stage of the lion to um, give that. Um, an economic value and therefore we've started treating our iconic species the lion as purely as a commodity yeah and i think also something that i don't want to go into much detail because we could probably talk for two hours on that but um within that whole sort of life cycle from the moment that a cup is born to the point where it's either killed for its trophy or slaughtered for its bone bones there is just a huge amount of welfare issues involved in this industry right. so these animals um yeah they are treated cruelly there's a lot of um basic necessities that they are not given um if basic things like proper food, regular fresh water, shelter. Um, it's all those things are often um, limited or lacking. Um, and uh, yeah, a lot of diseases, a lot of these animals are kept in large groups. Um, now, lions obviously live in prides in, in nature, uh, in the wilds, but those are social structures with different age groups, uh, siblings looking after the, 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 the smaller cubs. There is this sort of this whole social structure um, with different genders involved as well. Mm. Whereas if you look in activity so often, these animals are kept all within the same age group. So you might see a whole camp full of cubs of say three or four months old or sub-adults of a year old sometimes even just just males altogether um so which from a welfare point of view uh quite problematic because they um they don't have that natural social structure anymore they don't even know how to be a lion because they've never been taught mm. by their adults by their siblings how to be a lion um and especially those animal tourism industry, they actually worked. Um, a lot of the cubs, they um, are petted. They're in petting enclosures eight to ten hours a day, seven days a week. Um, you know, in nature, these animals, they sleep 
very long hours. They would be playing with their siblings. They would be with their mothers. Uh, they would be taken care of. Um, whereas yeah, in captivity, a lot of the time they are being petted by humans, um, being used as um, photo props. Hmm. Um, so again, it's it's uh, very problematic from a, a welfare point of view and an ethical perspective. Yeah, and it, there's so much to unpack in, like we mentioned in the onset, there's so much to unpack in all of that. Like, it, these lions yes. are almost as close to tame as can be. What, you, what was said in the documentary, Blood Lions, was these lions are under physical constraints, cages, but they're also under mental constraints, and they've been that way for their whole lives. So they've been habituated for their entire lives to not only you know, be familiar with humans, but to trust them. So they're born, they're bred, excuse me, they're born, uh, they're pet, they're, they're handled by humans, they're walked with humans. So they don't have a fear of us, and then they're put into these cages, and they're shot. And it's, uh, you know, I'm going to use the term hunting uh, loosely, because it's not. Um, it's like this convenient way of getting uh, a trophy and leaving and taking it home with you. And um, it just seems like... Correct. I mean, yeah. And it just seems like it's just so... It's almost easier than the old metaphor of shooting fish in a barrel. I mean, it's it's the exact same thing. They're there. They're not going anywhere. They're not scared of you. And, you know, people go and hunt them and call... And again, call that hunting. Yes. And and I think that's why quite a few of the professional hunting um, associations, the hunting fraternity, have um, turned their backs on captive or canned hunting industry as well, because there is no fair chase involved, hmm. um, as the hunting fraternity uh, refers to it. So a wild hunt can take two to three weeks of following these animals in the wild on foot to the point that they've actually reached, um, uh, managed to get so close that they can actually kill the animal. Now, from a personal point of view, you can think whatever you like about that, but that's right. how a, a sort of a wild hunt takes place. And there is a fair opportunity for the to escape, and that's why it generally takes so long. Um, and also the uh, success rate of wild hunts is hand hunts whereas when you compare that to a captive hunt where as you say we're dealing with habituated lions who've been in captivity all their lives who've started to trust humans who've mm -hmm. been who see humans as their source of food because they've always been fed um they have never had to hunt for food themselves to give you an example, the Northwest province has the shortest um, minimum release time from captivity to a hunting camp of 96 hours, which is four days. Whoa. So an animal that has been in captivity all its life are there in a slightly bigger area but still confined and fenced so there isn't an opportunity for that animal to um on top of that 
it sees people and a vehicle and it associates that with foods yeah. because it started to to trust people trust is maybe not quite the right word but it definitely lost a lot of his fear for humans um and within four days of its release it's then shot um in a captive hunts um so the success rate is generally virtually 100% how big are these pens they vary but they are pretty small um and yeah there's the sort of the, the legal uh, limits and they vary per province um and then there's obviously also what just happened behind the scenes as well so there are um reports as well that those were still half drugged because of course um and to actually transport a lion, they need to be sedated. We're talking predators here. You can't just sort of go, yeah. come kitty, 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 and they walk into the crate. So these are adult lions. They're predators, so they need to be sedated. Then they need to be transported from the holding or the breeding farm to the hunting facility. Um, and then they're being released, and there are certainly quite a number of reports that have also um, you know, found that some of these animals were still um, drugged, uh, partly dazed even at the time that they were shot. Um, yeah, from an, I think ethical, it's always a very difficult word because everybody has their own definition of ethical, but from an ethical hunting perspective, um, it, it doesn't, you know, meet any kind of criteria. And a lot of the, yeah, as I said, um, the, the bigger professional hunting associations, they have actually officially turned their backs on on this kind of, of hunting as well. Um, and I, I know that uh, uh, some of the excuses would be, but oh, it takes the the pressure of the wild lion mm -hmm. hunts um I, I think that is that is is a, a false argument as well um because first of all south africa issues very few permits for wild lion hunts um so those are uh limited by quota system and secondly it actually attracts a very different kind of hunter um, mm -hmm. the people who would want of a captive hunt compared to somebody who wants to be part of a wild hunt. So, um, yeah, it's two very different uh, types of hunts and attracting um, different types of hunters as well. What about the, because there's also another argument where people are like, oh man, canned hunting, you know, it takes pressure off the, you know, actual uh, wild chase hunt, but what about the, um, you know, a, it benefits conservation. Like in the documentary, it mentions that um, you know, mm. just one of these hunting excursions can bring in, you know, 16 to $48,000. And by the way, you're like choosing your lion off a menu. It's super creepy. Um, and the top is, you know, can be up to $50,000. And then on top of that, mm. these research centers that you were mentioning earlier where, you know, quote unquote, research centers that have volunteers come in and help rear the lions, they can take up to 25 volunteers for two weeks. 
you know, that brings in like $60,000. So there's a lot of money coming in for this. Is there any evidence, and not even that this makes this right, but is there any evidence that shows that any of that goes to conservation? I think that is part of the the problem with this industry as well, that a lot of these claims are made, but there's no real transparency, no transparency around the economics, the number of jobs it creates, if anything. Um, But the vast majority of the conservation sector agrees that captive breeding of lions, for whatever purpose, does not support the conservation of lions in the wilds. Um, And if we look, for example, at um, the African Lion Working Group, official statement confirming that captive breeding of lions hunting and associated competing industry are not conservation tools. Um, I can go on the South Africa's biodiversity management plan, which is part of our member acts, uh, acknowledges as well that captive lions are used exclusively to generate money and value. Um, so I think the vast majority of the conservation sector agree that the captive breeding of these lions does not support conservation of lions in the wilds. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there, especially with the international bone trade and the trading body parts, uh, there may even be an argument, although we do need more research and more data, but it seems to be that it is fueling a demand for wild lion bones as well. So there is a some research um, that has been done in Southeast Asia where they spoke to the consumers on the other side of lion and tiger bones, and they there is a percentage that would prefer bones from wild lions rather than captive bred lions. Hmm. Um, wow. And there is also evidence, yeah, so that is quite scary because that means that there's then these markets for wild lions and therefore it opens up the, the poaching. Right. And we have seen um, poaching of wild lions for body parts in neighbouring countries like Mozambique. Um, so that there seems to be um, some evidence, at least, um, that um, the, the, the captive breeding is actually negatively impacting on the wild population and, and hindering conservation efforts. Um, and there is very little evidence that any of the money that is generated is filters back into conservation. Um, I think it's generally... Um, just enriches a small group of people. Yeah, I could imagine that. Um, so can you talk a little bit about like the lion populations? Let's start with wild lion populations in South Africa and beyond. Because uh, in the documentary, it mentions mm. that, hey, there's actually more lions born in captivity than there are in the wild. Um, so I'm definitely curious about that. Yes, that is quite a scary thing. And I think that that shocks most people. So in the wilds, um, lions are classified as vulnerable uh, on the IUCN threatened species list. Um, And an IUCN assessment in 2016 showed that lion populations are 
across the continent had actually declined by 43% over 20-year periods. Um, now, if we can ju just stop for a second and think about that, because 20 years is actually about three-line generations. So in three-line generations, the lion population across Africa declined by 43%. Um, so that's a massive decline. Um, and the main reasons for that is habitat degradation and fragmentation through pressure from increase in human population, uh, reduction in prey animals, as in reduction in, in the availability of food for, for lions, mm -hmm. human-lion conflicts, um, but also the trade in, in lion products uh, and body parts, as I mentioned earlier, the, the poaching of wild lions for um, lion bones and, and body parts. So they believe there, as, there are now as few as 20,000 lions oh. across Africa, um, and they remain in as little as about 8% of their historic range. So the habitat that they exist in is only like 8% of what historically used to be lion territory in Africa. So, yeah, their decline in the wild has been pretty substantial. So if we then zoom into South Africa, um, the wild lion population is at least um, quite stable. We have just okay. over um, 3,000 wild and managed wild lions remaining in South Africa. So we have that differentiation between wild and managed wilds and the managed wild lions are basically those lions that live in the smaller fenced reserves and they are managed uh, to an extent because of the size of those reserves they cannot allow those prides to to grow uh, naturally because they um, the size of the reserve couldn't sustain um, a number then you know, X number of lions for a particular area. Gotcha. So they are managed. And some of those lions, for example, they are being put on contraceptives um, to, oh. to actually keep the population limited. So our lion population in South Africa in the wild is, is, is stable, mm -hmm. which okay. is good. Um, but in comparison, when we look at our captive population, um, the official number is about thousand lions in captivity um, but it's estimated that that number could be as high as 12,000 so it basically means that we've got three to four times more lions in captivity in South Africa than we have in the wilds and you said a thousand at first a thousand to twelve thousand uh, uh, no, the official number is 8,000. 8, that is the number that our Department of Environment, Fisheries, uh, Forestry and Fisheries um, uh, gave last year. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a very difficult one because, again, there is no transparency in terms of the numbers of lines in captivity. Um, and those numbers obviously are very fluid as well. They yep. change all the time um, with lines 
obviously born, um, but also on the other side being killed for the trophies and the bones. Um, so yeah, it, yeah, estimated anywhere between eight and twelve thousand lions, possibly even more. Um, so yeah, we're looking at three to four times more lions in captivity oh. than in the wild in South. When I first heard that statistic, I was praying it wasn't true. I was hoping, uh, and it's sobering to know that it is. So I'm curious about like, you know, I'm curious about South Africa. Like I mentioned before the call, like we've, I've been there with my wife. It was incredible. Um, Kruger National Park, which by the way is Kruger, is that managed? Would you consider that a managed national park? No, um, our national parks like Kruger and the Khalakhadi, mm -hmm. that is where our true wild populations live. Gotcha. Okay. And Kruger is an incredible, yeah. like for anyone who hasn't been in that area, I mean, it's the size of Connecticut and it's this incredible national park. Uh, and you can see virtually all the big five there. Um, but why, in the documentary, you talk about this, but why is this issue? Why do you think this issue is primarily in South Africa, the can lions? And then also, <laughs> on the flip side of it, what does South Africa do that's better than the other countries of managing its wild lion population? Because they do. They do a really good job. They definitely um, you know, understand what they have and how important it is. But then you've got this side where you know, there's this canned hunting trade that doesn't really seem to be prevalent most other places mm. yeah it's a it's a difficult one to 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 answer to be honest um i think it's part to do with our history um it's partly to do how this industry has been allowed um and it is very contradicting because south africa also has um a really uh, as you say a, a, a conservation um reputation we right. in in terms of conservation we do a pretty good job we do a great job in terms of photographic tourism ecotourism um and as it stands the, the this whole captive breeding industry is actually damaging both our reputations in, in terms of our tourism industry, but also in terms of our conservation reputation. Um, so it's very contradictory. They hmm. don't sit very well together at all. Um, and in, in my view, um, we really need to go back to basics. You know, this, this post-COVID-19, um, we all know how badly tourism has been affected across the world and South Africa is no exception um, and to me it's, it's an opportunity to kind of reboot our industry our tourism industry uh, in a most sustainable responsible ethical but also safe manner as possible um, because I think that is something that we have maybe only started thinking about now but the industry this captive lion breeding industry also poses a human health issue as well right. um the opportunity the potential for novel zoonotic diseases and potential for transmission um to other animals and spillover to humans mm -hmm. um so I think it's something that 
we need to become much more serious about and and look at what this industry damages can can do to our tourism and our conservation reputations and they are worth a lot more than a relatively small captive breeding industry with some associated um, captive hunting and uh, lion bone trades. That industry is so much smaller compared to what uh, tourism overall brings into our GDP. Yeah. In the documentary, you were saying like 25 billion, let's say an average year, obviously COVID-19 aside, but like 25 billion is what um, South Africa generally gets from tourism. Hunting, just that fair chase hunting we're talking about is like 1.5% of that. And then canned lion hunting is just a small percentage of that hunting percentage. So most people, goes without saying, aren't, and most revenue that comes through is through photo tourism. Um, and, and South Africa has done a really good job of prioritizing, um, the wild resources that it has. It's just interesting, this dichotomy of, you know, you talk about how, you know, their private property rights, uh, in South Africa, um, you know, religious domain issues where people think that they have, uh, the moral ability to breed and hunt lions. Um, and then also the documentary goes into a little bit about apartheid. Like, hey, it was less than 30 years ago that apartheid was a thing. Um, why would, if, if if a country traditionally, you know, in the past didn't wasn't really concerned with the rights of people, why would it be super concerned with the rights of, of lions or of animals? Um, and I think some of those things that, you know, the United States is struggling with, with, um, you know, you, you kind of draw the parallel to um, factory farming. And I think that's a really strong you know, the correlation to, to pull from. I mean, it's, it's interesting to, to think about how we feel like we have got this, or some people feel like they have this ability to really dominate a species without any concern about what could happen both to their own health, the health of the species, the health of the environment, or, you know, these potential diseases that we're seeing now. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think part of the problem is as well that um, the government is taking very much um, that basically there's two ways of section 24 in our constitution, um, uh, which talks about uh, sustainable um, uh, use. Uh, But that's a word that is used so often without proper definition. Hmm. Um, And so what is sustainable use? Um, and is it sustainable when we start taking wilds, we breed, we, we do selective breeding, we genetically manipulate them, right. um, inbreeding. Uh, so because we've, we see this problem happening as well in this captive uh, industry that because we are breeding with a relatively small population and the certain characteristics that, for example, are very popular in um, the, 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 the trophy hunting, for example, the lions. Now, white lions are extreme um, because it's a recessive gene and you need both the male and the female creates a 
cup that is of that white um uh it, it's not an albino it's 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 um it, it's 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 fur is basically completely white so that is it's very attractive and and for quite a while was attracting high trophy fees mm. so everybody started breeding for white lions which led very quickly to inbreeding of those animals um with horrific consequences um you know both externally and internal that are quite horrific to the extent that we've got evidence of cubs being born without limbs oh, um wow. i spoke to one of yeah i spoke a while back to one of our top carnivore vets um who said that as a result of inbreeding some lions were actually born without an anus um, so some of these deformities are horrific wow. um, and still we just carry on carry on breeding because it brings in money um, and it's it's it generates a few jobs but the jobs it generates are very menial they're very low paid um, often they are unskilled jobs um, so even the jobs it creates are not um particularly sustainable from that point of view so yeah um it, it it is a very strange situation that we've created um but i think there's quite a few states in the us as, as well where you actually have quite a large captive breeding yep. of big cats um and also this whole pay to play activities and cat hunting um and obviously uh, all of them are exotic species um, for for the states. Um, yeah. So yeah, it's it's um it's a strange thing how we we humans believe that it's now right to dominate and utilize these animals in whatever capacity we see fit. So <laughs> it's such a good point because we had this documentary that came out uh, on Netflix in the States. I'm not sure if it made its way to, to South Africa, but it was called Lion King. It was huge. Mm. Yes. Um, yeah, and it was about that. It was pretty much chronicling the captive uh, big cat industry. So not just lions, but tigers as well. And it woke us up, a majority of us up to that issue. But I mean, I am kind of like I was born and raised in Virginia. Now I live not too far away from one of those those facilities and i remember growing up and seeing them seeing these some of the yeah. people in the documentary um at like you know certain types of shows and they you know they do that you can it's easy to get tricked into that people were tricked into that for years um do you know like i mean the the general rules to avoid a, if some if a sanctuary or a facility is breeding them if they're trading the lions the big cats if they're allowing you to pet them like what are the things that people should do to avoid helping out um you know the bad actors in this field mm -hmm. i think that's a really good question um and it is actually all about asking the right questions and mm -hmm. looking out for those red flags. And I think you already kind of um, mentioned a few there. Um, 
And it, it's all about asking the right question. Do you breed? Are there any cubs around? Um, if there are, where do these cubs come from? Where do they go to? Ask the right questions. And depending on the answers, you, you get to feel pretty quickly whether you are being given a real answer or whether these are um, basically, well, most of them are, are, are lies when they come up with excuses. Yeah. Um a true sanctuary, a proper sanctuary, does not trade. So the animals that you can sanctuary are rescued animals. They are surrendered. Um, they come from circus situations or zoos from around the world. Proper sanctuary does not buy, it does not sell animals. It provides a forever home in a as natural as possible condition. They allow these animals to live out their lives. Um, do they offer interactive activities? Can you walk with these animals? Can you pet them? Do they offer them for photo props? Um, all of those are red flags. So are there cubs? Big red flag. Where do these cubs come from? Uh. Where do they go to? Do you trade? Do you buy or sell animals? Big red flag. Um, are there any interactive activity? Big, big red flag. Because a proper sanctuary does not offer any interactive. The whole situation is when, when you offer cub petting, it perpetuates the captive breeding. Mm. So you just continuously create this flow of cubs because cubs can only be used for petting up to three, maybe six months max. So they need to be, you need to have a new fresh batch of cups, like at least three and maybe even four times a year. So it perpetuates that captive breeding. What do you do with those captive animals when they outgrow the pitting? They can't be released into the wild. So where do they go to? Mm -hmm. And in South Africa, the, the next step becomes the captive hunting and the line bone trades. So people have to start understanding as well how to connect those dots. When you pet a cub, you indirectly, actually directly, I would go as far to say, you actually support the captive hunting as well as the line bone trades because that is where those animals ultimately end up. Mm -hmm. um, and they... A lot of these facilities will say, oh, but we don't support um, the captive hunting. They might not sell directly to a hunting facility, but they may do that through one or two middlemen. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, we cannot keep all those animals in captivity. They have to go somewhere. Right. Right. And in the documentary, you kind of chronicle a few... Um groups that say oh we don't support them we don't support them but we do we don't support can hunting but when the lions get this big we do ship them somewhere we don't really know where they go and they kind of you know they do know where they go or they don't and they're just you know being um you know coy about it uh but yeah i mean my i think i told you before the call like my wife and i were looking for when we were about to go on our honeymoon we were looking for experiences that would help conservation um you know, we were looking mm -hmm. in, in a lot of areas in Africa, and um, one of them was that 
volunteer group or, or one of these volunteer groups where you could, you know, could help. You were told there were orphan lines. You could help raise them, help. You know, they had no ability to be reintroduced to the wild. So you just had to help them, you know, uh, get familiar with humans and, and at least live some sort of life. Uh, so we almost got conned into one of those. I'm very glad we didn't. But like those volunteer programs, it sounds like it's the same criteria. Hey, if they're allowing you to pet these lions, if they're allow or these cubs, if they're allowing you to walk with them, if they're allowing you to have any sort of um, exposure with them that's beyond what you'd have in the wild, stay away. Uh, that you know they're supporting this this industry as well. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Again, it's all about asking the right questions. You know, where do these cups come from? Because the number of cups that are being orphaned um, in South Africa, according to this industry, it, it sort of would imply that lions are the worst mothers in the world, um, <laughs> which, you know, which is, of course, total nonsense, because lions are really good mothers in the wild, they actually go outside of the pride to, to um, have their cubs. And only when once they're a little bit older, they go back into the pride, just to protect their their offspring. Mm -hmm. So they're very good mothers. Um, so where do these cups come from and where do they go to? Those are the two main questions. Um, because in the end of the day, um, to actually look after a captive lion for the rest of its life is a very expensive exercise. Hmm. Um, in captivity, um, there's plenty of lions that... Um, get to the age of 18, 19, 20 years, even some of them a little bit older. So they can, you know, okay, let's say 15 years in captivity. So you would have to look after that lion for 15 years, treat it, feed it, house it. That's an extremely expensive business. Yeah. So where do they go to? So where are all those hundreds of lions? Because you only need to do the little sums, I always say. So facility has three lion cubs um, in the petting enclosure. Um, those cubs need to be um, uh, changed three to four times a year because they do become quite old, dangerous and boisterous quite quickly. So that's nine to 12 cups a year that they generate per year mm -hmm. times that by 15 because an animal you know captive lion can quite easily lift to the age of 15 that's a lot of lions yeah. so where are all those lions just do the do the math do the the, the sums you know where are all your lions that of all the cups that you've had and three cups is is for a lot of these facilities uh, quite a small number mm -hmm. a lot of them have a lot more than that so just stop and think and do not be conned um ask the right questions um there's plenty of volunteering options that actually do proper conservation work in the wilds hmm. um there are those opportunities as well and 
a platform like Volunteers in Africa Beware, it's a great resource uh, when it comes to volunteering in South Africa. And that's volunteer. Um, so yeah, volunteer in Africa. Volu Beware. Volunteers in Africa Beware. It's a great resource. They get a lot of feedback from ex-volunteers. They follow a lot of these volunteering programs. Um, so inform yourself, mm. ask questions, do the research before you actually sign up. Um, yeah, it, you know, let's let's face it. It is so attractive because look at those cubs. They are just the most gorgeous animals. They <laughs> are mega cute. Um, and it brings out you know, our maternal and paternal instinct, I think. So, of course, it's incredibly attractive. But I don't think anybody would want to be involved in something where they actually know that those animals are not going to live far beyond two years of age. Hmm. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you, you chronicle some people who, again, were caught up in that and kind of mm. fell for one of the for one of these programs and it just I mean it happens but it's good to know that there are resources out there for both you know within South Africa and beyond of how people can like you're saying not directly because this it does directly um, you know influence this this entire trade exactly and it perpetuates it as well because they need all those different steps to make money out of those animals from the time they're born to the time they're able to take out one of those elements less attractive from a financial point of view to be part of this industry so uh, it, it's every single stage and i think um i don't know whether you asked me earlier it was one of the questions as well in terms of for example importation bans um, yeah. You know, how effective are they? Um, so quite a few countries have now got official bans on the import of, of trophies. Um, some of the airlines uh, refuse to carry trophies. Now, those are all very effective tools because it makes it that much more difficult mm -hmm. um, for hunters from those countries or people that want to carry these trophies back home to enable them to do that. So it takes out a section of that value chain and it makes it um, economically less um, uh, effective uh, and, and attractive as well to be part of the, this industry. They by introducing all those different elements right through the whole life cycle of, of an animal, they've made it very profitable. And we need to collectively, we need to make sure that it becomes less profitable and attractive to be part of this industry. Yeah. And we can do that. Yeah, I think so. I think you're right. And it's, um, you know, it's... It, it, if you can squash, let's say for all of this, if you can squash the demand, whether it's for rhino horns or elephant ivory or whatever it is, if you can, you know, mitigate the demand as much as possible, if people can't take these back, and obviously you've got to manage the black market on that uh, front as well. But if people can't take these uh, commodities back home, then that will hopefully mitigate also the bad actors too who are in that field, right? I mean, 
you know, people are going to do what they can for money, but if there's no demand, why would people supply that? Um, so, yes, exactly. Demand reduction is very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that. Um, so demand reduction is 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 certainly one of the ways of getting this. The illegal market is obviously always a, a tricky one, um, but we also know that the legal trade also um, it the the legal trade creates and uh, the illegal trade as well because you have these legal trade channels so it enables it virtually facilitates the illegal markets and the legal trades because they can piggyback onto the legal trades yeah. um, and the end consumer they can't see the difference between a legally or an illegally exported line skeleton. Um, there is no, you know, little thing to say I'm illegal and I'm legal. So um, the, the legal trade also facilitates that illegal trade. Um, so we have to basically fight it on so many um, on so many different fronts helps so for example the united kingdom is now working on a a ban of importation of trophy hunting uh uh, hunting trophies rather Um, so again it's it's another example and it 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 sort of it sets it, it also sets a precedent um and then more countries will hopefully follow um, so uh, I think it was Australia was one of the first, um, Finland, um, and then very often it's like a little bit of a snowball, more and more countries, and it starts in Europe, and it gets uh, part, becomes part of the European Union, then decide on, like Finland and now the United Kingdom, mm-hmm. uh, go for a ban on import of hunting trophies, much larger number of European Union countries to do the same or maybe us the European Union as a whole create a directive uh, along those lines so it can be a bit of a snowball um, effect if one or two countries um, have those import bans Mm. uh, for other countries to follow on Um, so yeah very important and um, very uh, useful from our perspective in fighting this captive breeding industry in, in in South Africa. Perfect. And so that's, you know, obviously that helps on a country basis. What can, and we've talked about what people can do and what mainly what they can't do. Like how can people help bloodlines as a documentary? Like how can they see it? How can they spread the word? Um, and how can they help, you know, that initiative immediately yeah i think first of all educate yourself um so watch um it can be bought i think it's streamed in the u.s on eco streams it's available on amazon um it's available on netflix africa i don't think it's available yet on netflix international but it is uh for people who are based in Africa, available on Netflix, Africa. So educate yourself, watch the Bloodlines film, um, 
we actually just did a virtual screening of Bloodlines this week, and we have a Q&A tomorrow with the producer, Pippa Hankinson, and the lead consultant, Ian Michler. Um, so, yeah, watch watch the Bloodlines film. Um, there's lots of resources on our website as well. Um, and then start talking about the topic with friends, with family, raise awareness amongst your own peers, your own group of friends and family, because it is effect. Um, two people inform two more people who inform two more people. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, first of all, it's always important to get the facts right, um, educate yourself, and then raise awareness um, in your own um, in your own circles, basically. Um, you can support. Uh, we have a brand new campaign that we launched on World Lion Day on the 10th of August, 800 voices for 800 lions. And we're actually asking people to submit uh, some lion art, um, which can be anything from photography to drawing to painting to poetry to music to dance. Um, you can express yourself in whatever fashion you want. And our aim is, our goal is to get 800 pieces of lion art representing the 800 lions that have been slaughtered in the last few years uh, for their skeletons and present that to our Minister of Environment, Forestry and Fisheries um, with a call to set a zero line bone quota. Um, and there's lots of information on that on our website. We've already got about 100 absolutely amazing um, pieces of art that people have submitted. There's a submission form. It's all very easy. So please support um, that campaign because, uh, again, if we can actually get our lion bone quota set to zero, that takes a very big chunk out of that economic value chain and making it a lot less attractive for people to be in this industry. Um, yeah. And I think something that I haven't mentioned before, but I, I would at this point like to mention is from a welfare point of view, um, breeding lions for their bones it doesn't matter what they look like. There's no incentive to keep those animals healthy. If you breed a lion for their trophy, at least they need to be, they need to look physically healthy and beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. If you breed them just for their bones, it doesn't matter what they look like. So from a welfare point of view, it's incredibly problematic. So we really want to get that lion bone quota set set to zero. Um, so that would be hugely important from a welfare point of view and also to, to make it less attractive. Um, and write to your government, um, you know, to promote uh, the ban on import of, of lion trophies. Um, write to your government to put pressure on our South African government um, to stop the captive breeding of lions for commercial purposes. So I think people can do quite a lot of different things um, to stop this industry. Um, but please, yeah, there is a whole page, two pages actually, how to take action um, 
and please start with educating them yourself. We are at bloodlines. We, we've. It's extremely important that we get our facts right um, because we can fight the industry with facts. Uh, we can't fight the industry with emotions. Mm. So we need to get our facts correct before we can actually stop, start doing something about it. Agreed 100%. Yeah, you've got to use as much data as you can uh, to fight this fight. Um, so... Finally, are, are you hopeful? I mean, in the documentary, you said by 2020, you know, there could be 15 to 20,000 uh, uh, lions in captivity. It looks like we're a little shy of that, but it's still way more. I mean, there's more lions bred in captivity than there are in the wild. Um, are you hopeful? Have you seen any changes in the past five years since the documentary has come out that has given you... Um, you know, a little bit more hope for this situation or, or how do you feel overall? Um, we, we can't lose hope because um, once we have lost hope, then what is there to, to fight for? So we always have to stay hopeful. Um, and I think there are small cracks appearing. Um, and we have seen, for example, a change in the number of hunting trophies, captive hunting trophies that we're exporting, for example. Hmm. Um, and that's why it's so important that we get this line bone quota changed because then the breeders start to change a little bit from the trophy hunting more to the line bone export. So um, we have to fight it on all fronts. We have to stay hopeful. We have to um, for our for the sake of our alliance. And I think there is there is more hope because more people are aware of the situation now. And those people who are aware, the vast majority of of those people, um, they don't agree. Mm-hmm. They look at this industry and actually can't believe that it is legally allowed. Yeah. So I think we have to stay hopeful. We have to continue raising our voice um, and yeah, try to, to fight for for our animals in captivity. Because as I said, to start with, yes, the numbers of lions are the, the highest in South Africa. Because, but at the same time, we have huge numbers, hundreds, even thousands of cheetahs, um, leopards, right. caracals, circles, tigers, jaguars, pumas, and even ligers. We crossbreed tigers with lions, two species that don't even live on the same continent. Mm-hmm. And all those captive predators, we, we have to c- carry on fighting. We have to carry on hoping um, and and just, yeah, just be hopeful um, for a, a, a good outcome. Yeah, and I am. I, I think that a lot of this awareness uh, helps an incredible amount. And Bloodlines is a really incredible documentary. While there are bits and pieces of it that might be hard to watch, you know, you don't. Yes. Apparently, you don't have to be a good shot to go and do this. They don't care about that. They just want the money. But it's uh, it's very important for people to go see it. Uh, um, so I yes. strongly recommend that. 
It's definitely not an easy view. Um, I have to admit, the very first time uh, I actually saw Bloodlines for the first time in at the launch in Cape Town in, I think it was July 2015. And I will admit, um, I... I was absolutely sobbing. I had tears running down my face um, because, yeah, I had no idea. Uh, I also thought I was pretty well informed, right. but I had no idea of the extent of this industry, um, the cruelty involved. Um, it, 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 yeah, it it literally opened my eyes as well. So I think we all get these pivotal moments in, in our life. And that was certainly one for me um, where I suddenly realized, wow, I had no idea it was this, this bad basically. Yeah. Um, and it really did open my eyes. So yeah, it's not, I'm not saying it's an easy view, Um and I would certainly people with children, I would, um, some parental guidance is advised, <laughs> but it's a must. Yeah. People do, do get, um, it gives you a very good overview of the industry, what goes on. Yeah. And it's, it's not easy, but it's essential, I, I think. Um, yes. and, and, and it, it's hopeful. I mean, you wouldn't be in this line of work if you didn't have hope that it could change. Right. And, and I feel the same way. I do think it can change. I do think it is slowly changing. Yeah. And I think things like, you know, bloodlines and, and, uh, tiger King and, and really getting the message out is what helps. Thank you for, um, putting the messaging out there and, and uh, explaining to people, because that's really all that we have is that data is that storytelling ability. Thank you so much for that. Thank you for your time today. Um, I really appreciate it's it. It's a pleasure. And as a, as a sort of a last um, a last comment is sure. um, I get this quite a lot of people who feel very guilty because, oh, my word, I, I went petting and I did this and um, and, feel, and people feeling very guilty about um, unknowingly supporting this industry. But it's not about what ma making you feel guilty for what you did right. when you didn't know. It's what you do with that knowledge now. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so important for people. Collectively, we can bring about so much change. So use that experience and use that knowledge in a positive way. Um, and that's what it's all about. And not it's not about making people feel guilty. Mm. Um, because we've all been in that situation. I think we've all done something that we we did because we didn't know. Right. We weren't informed. But thank you so much for giving us the opportunity um, to bring some some awareness to um, to people uh, who listen to your podcast. So thank you very much. And anybody who has got questions, we're always here um, to answer any questions and always happy to do follow-up as well. So thank you as well. Thanks for joining. If you liked that episode, feel free to rate, view, and subscribe. That actually really helps. If you haven't seen it yet, take a look at the accompanying blog. Don't forget your boots.com where you can read more and see photos for all the interviews. Until next time, take care.